Everybody, the day of the Lord will come. Everybody, the day of the Lord. 
will inherit the kingdom of God. We look at this list of people who God says they're not going to go to heaven, and we look at what some of these people are guilty of, and we go, yeah, I can see why they're not going to be in heaven. I can see why God says that they're not righteous. Oh, yeah, I understand that. But Galatians chapter 5, beginning verse 19, we read about the works of the flesh. That is, those things that have to do with the world, the things that the devil would have us to be involved in. Galatians chapter 5, beginning verse 19, going through verse 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. What did Paul just say? He said, if you practice these things, you can't go to heaven. If you're involved in the works of the flesh, if you're involved in these things that are unrighteous, you will not go to heaven. You can't practice those things to be saved. In Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8, here John records for us, but the fearful, the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Again, as we look at what's been said, we're, we're told that here's, here's a list of people who are going to be cast into hell. And we look and we see who these people are and we go, well, yeah, I can understand why God does not want those people in heaven with him. I can see why these people are considered unrighteous. John says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, God who is faithful and just will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of what? All unrighteousness. So sin is unrighteousness. So I can't go to heaven without being cleansed of my unrighteousness. And I've been told a lot of things here that God automatically says, if you're practicing these things, you're unrighteous. Now, as we look at this list of things, if we start listing all of them, put them in one line and start checking, no, I'm not guilty of that. No, I'm not guilty of that. No, I'm not, I'm not guilty of any of these things. I must be a pretty good guy. I mean, the Bible says if I do these things, I can't go to heaven. The Bible says if I do these things that I'm not righteous, I must be righteous because I'm not doing any of these bad things. Well, what's the difference between me and you and our next door neighbor who's also a moral person, but they're not a Christian? They're not involved in practicing these things that God has listed as being unrighteous. So what makes us different? Have we concluded correctly just because the fact that we don't participate in an evil action? In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 7, John writes, Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. So how is it that we can know that we have the faith that Jesus is looking for? How can we know that we are faithful? How can we know that we are righteous? John says we have to practice righteousness. We have to be involved in practice when it comes to the faith. We have to practice it being faithful. 
Oh, what does it mean to practice? We talked about this some Sunday morning. Practice means that we've gone through the motion of trying to improve in something. We're working at it. It's not something that we just sit there in our mind and think, yep, I'm thinking about it and I'm getting better at catching that baseball. Yep, I'm thinking about it. You know, it's like the guy, that lumberjack that's sitting under the tree. It's just as soon as I work up a sweat, I'm going to get up and start cutting some of these trees down. We don't get anything done unless we're actually involved in actually involved in an action. And so for us to be righteous, brethren, obviously we have to be involved in some sort of action. In Acts chapter 10, verse 34 and 35, Peter, when he found out that Cornelius and his household, the first Gentile converts, were being accepted by God, he says, Now I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. So who does God accept? Those who fear him and those who are involved in works of righteousness. Brethren, nobody's ever accused me of working when I was sleeping unless I was working at getting a nap. Because we know the work means we got to be involved in an action. In Matthew chapter 3, Jesus went down to see John the Baptist so that he could be baptized by him. And John saw him come and he says, Oh no, I have need to be baptized by you. I'm not even worthy to unlatch your sandals. And Jesus in verse 15 says, Permit it, suffer it to be so, that all righteousness might be fulfilled. Now how was it that righteousness was going to take place? An action had to occur. So what does it mean? To practice righteousness, to work righteousness, to be righteous, to be faithful, to have the faith that the Lord's looking for when he comes back. Brethren, we're going to have to be involved in action. Not just abstinence from that which is wrong. Turn to Matthew chapter 25 with me. Here's a judgment scene. Matthew chapter 25, beginning at verse 31. Here we read, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him. He will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father. Who do you think he's talking about? The righteous or the unrighteous? Come, ye blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Well, who is he talking to? We know they're righteous. Why are they righteous? Well, they probably didn't commit adultery and they probably didn't steal and they probably hadn't killed anybody. And so God says, Jesus is looking at him saying, yeah, because you didn't do any of these bad things, blessed are you, now come on in. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was a naked, I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, now who's he talking to? The blessed, the righteous, the faithful, those who have practiced the faith that the Lord's looking for when he returns. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, 
When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, and as much as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Okay, I know I'm supposed to be doing something. I want to do something important for the Lord. You know, I, I, I'm waiting on something really important to come along. I don't want to just waste my time just doing little bitty stuff. I'm going to do something the Lord's going to go, yeah, it took somebody special like you, Tim, to be able to pull that off and do that for the kingdom. That's really big. That's really important, you know, because it's really not a big deal that I was hungry and you gave me food. Come, you blessed my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you for the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. How, how big a deal you think it is to the Lord that we give somebody that's thirsty a drink of water? Now, how, why are these people being told that they're going to heaven? Well, part of it has to do with the fact that they gave somebody a drink of water. Does that sound like a big deal to you? Okay, now we've heard the lesson, and, 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 and tomorrow it's so hot, and you hear somebody comes and they knock on the door, and they, you open the door and they say, I hate to bother you, but I'm on foot and I'm just so thirsty. Could I trouble you for a drink of water? I heard a sermon on this just last night. <laughs> I'm going to do something important. So I go into my kitchen, and I, get, I start to get them a glass of water, and I think, I'm going to go to the second mile and put some ice in there for him. And I put ice in that glass. He didn't ask for ice water. He just asked for water. And then right before I put the water in it, I look over there and I see a brand new jug of Gatorade that I just bought. And I think, that man probably needs what his body's thirsty for. Needs to be able to replace those electrolytes. And so I pour him some of that and I bring it out there. I says, would you... I brought you some Gatorade instead. You can drink that, can't you? No, because this would be better for you since you've been sweating. And, oh, you didn't need to do that water with That's all right. You go ahead and you drink that. And then when he finishes, I pour him a second cup. And I said, tell you what, I'm just going to give you this jug. And that way, while you're walking down the road, if you get thirsty, you can just drink some more on your way. And when he leaves, I'm going to get on the telephone. And I am going to call the newspaper. And I'm going to tell them, now, my name is Tim Kidwell, and there was a fella come walking by my house while ago. I've never seen him before in my life. He knocked on the door, and he wanted a drink of water. But instead of just giving him a drink of water, I put ice in the glass, and then I gave him a whole jug of Gatorade. Now, I know you're going to want to send somebody out here to take my picture and, and put my name and everything in the paper. So, you know, I live at 2CC. I say, hello. Now, why they hang up on me? Because to the world, that's not a big deal. Now, we know as Christians, Jesus taught Matthew 6 and verse 1, that our good works are not done so that they can be seen of men, but actually in Matthew 5, 16, we do our good works so that God will receive the glory. But the point of the illustration is to get us to think about, are we allowing the world to determine what's important? You see, newspaper's not going to send anybody out there and... Do a story on that. Big deal. Come, you blessed. Enter in. 
Who's he talking to? The righteous. How important are those actions to the Lord? Well, let's continue. Verse 41. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Oh, I know who he's talking to now. Depart from me, ye cursed. That's going to be those homosexuals. That's going to be those murderers. That's going to be those sexually immoral. That's going to be those thieves. That's going to be those drunkards. He's talking about those people, those liars, those, those scum of the earth people that have been committing all these atrocious sins and practicing them and... For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now, brethren, this is a judgment scene. And the Lord very specifically tells us that there's a group of people who are going to be saved and a group of people who are going to be lost. And he very much tells us why those that are saved in this particular scene are going to be saved and why those that are going to be lost are the reason why. The only ones given. Now, why are those that are saved going to be saved? Well, the only reason that we're given in this particular passage is they were involved in good works. Why are these people that are lost that are going to be sent away into everlasting punishment, those that are the cursed? Because they had opportunity to do good and they didn't do good. In Luke chapter 16, we read about Lazarus and the rich man. And you remember how every day Lazarus was laid by the rich man's gates and all he wanted was the crumbs that fell from his table. And the dogs came and licked his sores. And the Bible tells us that when Lazarus died, the angels carried him to Abraham's bosom. But when the rich man died, he opened up his eyes and found himself in torment. Now, why did that rich man find himself in torment? Was it because he was a thief? Passage doesn't indicate that. Was it because he was a murderer? Passage doesn't say anything about that. Was it because he was unfaithful to his spouse or he was a homosexual? Passage doesn't say anything about that. Was What bad thing was it that he was doing? Passage doesn't say anything about bad things that he was doing. But he lifted up his eyes, found himself in torment. Why? Because every day he had an opportunity to do good and he didn't take advantage of it. Every day he walked right past Lazarus who needed help. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity to do good, do good unto all men, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. In James chapter 4 and verse 17, James says, To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him that is sin. What's it mean to be rich? Hmm. I know what your answer is. It means more money than what I got. That's what we always say. What does it mean to be rich? Well, more than what I've got. And so we know that rich means to have a whole lot. 
Well, God actually tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 18, he says, be rich. You like the way that sounds? I needed an excuse for being out there trying to make just as much as I possibly could make. And, and here I've got a scripture. Old King James says, be ye rich. But Paul didn't stop there. He tells us how to be rich, what to be rich in. Be ye rich in good works. Now, brethren... We know what it means to be rich in money more than what i got now. What does it mean to be rich in good works? Probably to be, have more involvement in good works than I've got now. The word still means the same as far as riches go. Are we rich in good works? Now about this time, someone might be thinking, okay, so if... If I don't do bad things, keep that checklist. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do that. Okay, I'm not doing those. But I understand I can't go to heaven just because I abstain from bad. I need to be doing good. So what good things do? Okay, I'm doing that, I'm doing that, I'm doing that. We can pay the atheist to keep the rules. I can find a man out there on the road that doesn't believe in God. And I can, if I pay him enough money, he'll come and he'll stand in front of you and he'll say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. If I give him enough money, he will allow me to immerse him in water. And if I continue to pay him enough money, he'll be here every time the doors are open. And if I pay him enough money, he may even get up and lead singing and say a prayer and teach the truth in a Bible class, maybe even preach a lesson. And he'll, if I pay him enough money, he'll be active in any program that the church has that needs to be done. He is the first one to volunteer if I pay him enough money. But when he dies, is he going to heaven? Those that don't know anything about the money are going to say, he was the most wonderful Christian man. But did he go to heaven? He kept the rules. The thou shalts and the thou shalt nots. But he didn't believe in God. We know he has not been saved. So what's the difference between us and him? In John chapter 17 verse 3, Jesus said, This is eternal life. That we that they know you, the Father, and me, your Son. So this is eternal life. Jesus says, you want to go to heaven? You want to have eternal life? You need to know God. Well, what does it mean to know God? Now, he told me I need to, that's one of the things where I need a little explaining on that. Well, John, who wrote, recorded this for us, later on in 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, he answers that question by saying, by this... Do we know that we know him? Now, what was it? I pray that they'll know you. Eternal life is knowing you. Well, what is knowing you? By this, they know that they know you. If they keep your commandments. If we keep his commandments. Well, somebody might say, well, there you go. It sounds, again, a whole lot like just rule keeping. I kept the rules. I kept the commandments. So I know God by definition of what you just finished saying. Well, we got to finish the puzzle. We're just getting some of the pieces together. Jesus said in John 14, verse 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. 
Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 3, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but, it, but I have not love, it profits me nothing. What did he say? You can give everything that you have to help people who are in need. And it won't mean anything as far as God's concerned if you didn't do it out of love, if you weren't motivated by love. Paul said, even if I'm arrested for preaching the gospel and they say, we're going to kill you if you don't stop preaching this and practicing this, and he says, I'm not going to do it, and so they burned me to the stake. He said, even if I die for practicing this faith, if I'm not giving my life up because I love God, and that's why I'm keeping his commandments, then it profits me nothing. Let me see if I can illustrate the difference between a rule keeper and someone who does the things they do because of love. Let's suppose that there is a young family here in the, in the congregation and the young mother who has two or three children, she's sick and the husband, he has to be away for most of the day to try to help them make ends meet. And you know she's sick. You know they're struggling. And you've heard a lesson about the fact that we need to visit the sick. And so we go over to her house. We knock on the door. And we can hear a commotion inside because the children, they're just they're playing and they're having their way because the mother, she's, she's not feeling well. And so finally the door is kind of... Pulled and tugged open is one of the little children and they're stuffing away and you kind of push the door the rest of the way open and you stick your head in the room and there's the mother laying on the sofa with a wash rag on her head trying to look around at the children to make sure that they're not killing themselves or doing something you know that's going to hurt each other and and you look and you see you see the room has just been destroyed by the children and those of us who've had little children know it doesn't take very long. You can finish one room and go do another one, come back, that one's already destroyed again. You know, but this room is destroyed. You looked over towards the kitchen and you see dirty dishes piled up in the sink. And on the kitchen table there are dirty dishes and food. And we see the garbage can and garbage is running over the top and into the floor. And we look over at the laundry room and so much it's just a mountain of dirty clothes spilling out of the laundry room out into the main room there. And then we look down at that sister and we say, Is there anything I can do for you? And what is she going to say? She's going to say the same thing that probably you and I would say. Oh, no, the very fact that you came here and checked on me. Bless your heart. Thank you for showing that love and attention for us. But we'll be all right. Thank you for coming. And we'll go out and we'll shut the door and we'll just break our arm, patting ourselves on the back because we went and visited somebody who was sick. And not only did we visit somebody that was sick, we asked them if there was anything we could do. That's a rule keeper, brethren. But if we act because we love, we go to visit. Let's take the same scenario and we go back and this is someone who's operating based upon love. We walk into that house and we see that scenario and we begin, as we're visiting with the mother, to just start picking things up out of the floor. And after we've worked for a few minutes, the mother realizes what's going on. Oh, no, you don't need to do that. My husband will take care of that when he... Sister... Just lay back. 
I want to do this. I can do this. You just relax for a little while. Close your eyes. I'll watch the kids. I'll just pick up a few things. And so she is so tired and sick and appreciative to be able to just know that she can safely close her eyes. She lays her head down. So you've picked up and cleaned and then you went into the through the kitchen and you start bagging up the trash and, and, and washing some dishes and she hears the noise and she, it startles her and she sits up and she looks back. What do you, no, 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 you don't need to do that. My husband will take care of that. You've done enough. Oh, by just picking up. Sister, it's all right. I want to do this. You just lay your head down and rest for a little while. And then we look into the refrigerator and realize they don't have much to eat. And we get on, so we get on the phone and we call some of the other brethren. And we say, you know what, we've got a young family here that's really going through a tough time. And so before you leave, so there are other brethren that have brought food over. And they've got hot food in the oven for them to eat supper that night. And there's food in the refrigerator for them to eat for several days to come. And then you walk over and you start to go through the laundry. And she suddenly realizes what you're doing. And she, no, no. You know how we are about our laundry room. You know, you know not the laundry room. I remember when uh, my kids were little and it would be laundry day, which was about every day. We'd have a mountain of clothes that would be spilling out of the laundry room into the hallway there in one place where we lived. And, and it was right by the front door. And if somebody came unexpected and I'm trying to shove all those clothes back into that laundry room and push that door and I'd put my foot up against the wall on the other side and click that door shut and I'd look at the girl and say, don't anybody touch that door because if it pops open, somebody will die. <laughs> Not the laundry room. It's all right, sister. You just lay there. I want to do this. And we wash the clothes. We dry the clothes. We fold and we put them away. And then when the husband comes home that evening, he walks in and he's exhausted and he's even more exhausted because he knows what's going to be facing him when he gets there. And he opens the door and in his delirium he jumps back out and shuts the door and checks the number on the house. (laughs) Then he goes back in and he looks at his wife who's sitting there halfway upright on the sofa, and he said, what gives? What has happened? And she says, it's those church people. They came in here today and they started picking stuff up. And I said, you don't need to do that. And they did it anyway. And then they went into the kitchen and they started bagging up the trash and cleaning up the kitchen. And I said, you don't need to do that. My husband will do it. And they did it anyway. And they brought us this food. And then they went into the laundry room. Those church people, I can't stand them. You reckon? course not she's going to tell her husband what took place that day and with weak weak knees he's going to try to cross the floor and sit down next to his wife and pull her up close to him and he's going to say aren't we the most blessed people in the world to be part of a family like that now brethren when the Lord returns will he find faith 
Will we meet the definition of being faithful? Of being righteous? Are we good at being good because we love? Or are we just good at not being bad? If you're here tonight and you're not a child of God, I want to give you an opportunity to become one. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is God's Son? Will you repent of the sin that's in your life, come confess your faith in Jesus as the Son of God, and be baptized for the remission of your sins? As a child of God, have you sinned and fallen short of His glory? Brethren, we all do. The most important thing that we can do in this life is to always, always be able to lay our head down at night knowing that the Lord returns or if we were to die, that we are ready to go home to be with the Lord. And if you're here tonight and you're going, well, if the Lord comes back, all I can say is I hope, then you don't have the hope. We ought to have the confidence that we're going to go to be with the Lord. How in the world can we look towards His coming with joy and happiness if there's uncertainty? No, the Bible doesn't teach that once we're saved, we're always saved. But what the Bible does teach is that once we're saved, there's no reason not to stay saved. John tells us that if we confess our sin, God, who's fellow and just, will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If you have a need to respond to the Lord's invitation, we encourage you to come now while we stand and sing.